The grace and peace of Christ be with you. Also with you. As we greet one another this morning, it's flu season, so how about fist bumps instead of handshaking? Welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. We're very glad that you're here with us. We also are very glad to have with us our guest musicians this morning. Well, <laughs> and that one is Mark Hansen, who is a Grammy Award-winning musician, and his wife, Greta Peterson, who is also an award-winning musician. So you'll hear much more of them today. And out on the patio afterward, they have their CDs if you like what you hear and might want to take some of that home with you. Tonight at 5 o'clock is our Alpha Group. It's meeting for just the second time this week, and we're still open to new people coming. It is a chance to explore Christian faith in a non-threatening atmosphere, to ask questions, have conversation. It starts at 5 o'clock, and it includes dinner. So if you think you'd like to come to that, you're very welcome to just show up tonight at 5 o'clock, and we will figure out how to have enough food for you, and I'm sure it will work. So you are very welcome to come. We're in Tankersley Hall starting at 5 o'clock. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, so our office is closed. Also, we have a blood drive coming up. We're taking sign-ups on the patio for people to give blood and also people to work in the blood drive. Two weeks from today, on February 2nd, is our annual business meeting, our annual meeting, and that is going to be during the 8.30 service. So you, if you come early, we'll have some singing, we'll have our business meeting, including the annual report and the budget, and we'll elect at least one, of, one new deacon. And then after that, we will have a communion service and a short sermon. Second service on February 2nd will be just like normal. We will not run the business meeting again. So if you want to be there for that part, come at 8.30. If you don't want to be there, come at 10 o'clock. Our women's retreat is also signing up. We are March 13 to 15 in Palo Mesa Resort, and our speaker is Courtney Ellis, who is one of the associate pastors at Church of the Master in Mission Viejo. She's a wonderful young mom, an author, and speaker. 
You need to sign up online to do that. And the deadline is February 10th, so that is coming up faster than we think. We just really have a few weeks left on that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we imagine ourselves self-sufficient, and then we run short. Short of time, short of stamina, short of newness. We find our future closed off and at risk, and we find ourselves back in your presence, waiting instead of acting, receiving instead of making, invited to gratitude. And so we, we, we wait, and we receive, and we thank, and come to worship you today with grateful hearts, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Will you join me in the responsive call to worship that's on the front of your bulletin? Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness and awesome in splendor? We will sing to the Lord, for God has triumphed gloriously. God is our strength, our might, and our salvation. This is my God, whom I will praise, the God of my mothers and fathers, the God whom I exalt. The Lord is mighty and holy is God's name. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for song.
strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong.
So we come to the Lord and confess to him our need for his mercy. Let us pray responsively. Lord, your steadfast love and healing mercy are ever-present in our lives. Your forgiveness is boundless, even though we fail to walk in the way of Christ. We confess that we are slow to listen and trust your word. We are quick to anger quick to carry a grudge, quick to find fault, quick to assign blame, quick to harden our hearts. Heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. friends, hear the good news. God, our healer, has made us new. In Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen.
So we were comparing notes up here, and the name dulcimer actually means sweetness. So um, not only the sweet sounds, but that kind of takes us directly to the biblical text today. The choice between bitterness or sweetness, and how we look at God as the one who's the source of those two options. The text is in Exodus chapter 15. And what we want to see today is that God gives us a choice built upon God's real, positive, and full nature. We can either participate in it or reject it. There's an overarching process that literally flows through the entire book of Exodus, and the theme is water. Water is everywhere in Exodus, and there are times when water should be there, but it's not there enough. This is that text here. But Moses' life is literally born in water. Moses is saved because he's taken from the water. Uh, Water saves all of Israel, and water destroys the Egyptians. Water is both a blessing and and a judgment, depending on where you are with God. Water is right here in this text, as we will hear. It's mentioned several times, Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the red or reed sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there God put them to the test. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, 
and do what is right in his sight and give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they camped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. The movement in this text is a movement of this is who God is. God is the healer, the one who makes us better as human beings, and we have a choice to make as to whether we want to work with God to become better people. God moves among Israel to help them to taste sweet water when the water is bitter. We literally have to make a decision in relationship to God whether to become bitter people or sweet people. Some people grow up in their older years to be bitter. Other, others, as they age, become sweeter. The suggestion is strong here in the text that it's all in how they view God. It's all in how they walked with God or didn't walk with God that helps them form into who they become. This text is about who God wants us to become built upon the experience of who God really is. A few years ago, there was a movie that was won some Academy Awards called The Blind Side. It was about a football player by the name of Michael Orr. It was built upon the book, The Blind Side, which was based upon the idea that the left tackle on a football team would be the main protection for a right-handed throwing quarterback. Because the defensive players can come up on the blind side of the quarterback and do some destruction on their body. And so you, but you get your best tackle, your biggest and fastest tackle, to be the protector on the quarterback's blind side. As it happened at that time, Michael Orr became one of the chief models of a tackle who was fast and big, 6'4", 315 pounds. Michael Orr had grown up with a commitment to become the best possible human being he could become and the best possible football player. He knew that to be a good football player would be to put him in a place where he would have a different kind of life than where he grew up. See, Michael Orr grew up in a family of 12 children, most of the time without either parent. His father was in prison and his mother was on alcohol and drugs most of the time. And so they literally often wandered the streets. They grew up in a place called Hurt Village. That tells you the story. He grew up in a hurting place. He was in the middle of troubling environments his younger years. And he knew that if he wasn't careful, he could get pulled into the gangs and the drugs and the darkness of his environment. He attributes his survival of that to choices that he made along the way, but to the grace of God who got him through it and brought him out to a good place. Like, unlike many people who became bitter because of their environments 
and their heritage, Michael became better. He listened to his own voice and the voice of God. We as Christians and with other Christians and other people of other faiths from around the world struggle with the very nature of God. We often think of God as different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Sometimes we actually hear sermons about this. Well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of vengeance. And the God of the New Testament is Jesus. And he's a God of grace and mercy and love. I'm here to tell you that Moses didn't represent God that way. Moses knew that God was gracious and kind and full of love and mercy and slow to anger. And that was in contrast to the other gods around, the gods of Egypt and the gods of Canaan, who were all vindictive. In fact, Pharaoh is the example of the kind of product that the gods of those other lands produced in a leader, an obnoxious, pushy, demanding, high-control, vindictive leader, Pharaoh. Now, here's the mistake a lot of Christians make. They can get confused about who God is, and they start attributing to God the traits of Pharaoh. I'm here to say that Presbyterians are typically not guilty of that. One of the reasons I became a Presbyterian is because the accent on the theme of the character of God in the Presbyterian tradition, the Reformed tradition, is God is love. But there are some other traditions that will tell you that God's primary pattern in the Old Testament is vindication and judgment. If you don't do what God wants you to do, God will get you. There are still people around you today that live like that. And they tend to grow up bitter because their view of God is demanding and controlling and they can't measure up. God is hurtful, condemning, not helpful and gracious. The ongoing tension that exists for us in this world is who do we know God to be? A healer or a harmer? If we think that God is a harmer, that God is hurtful, that we have to somehow measure up or God will take vengeance on us, then we can easily grow up and become a person of bitterness and hostility. Moses understood God as gracious and kind and loving. Because Moses literally lived in the presence of God. He discovered God through the intimacy of conversations and contact. And this text suggests strongly that when the people were complaining against Moses, Moses was talking to God. Eventually, the hope was, you see, the people would get off their complaints and start talking to God. It took a long time for that to happen. If you find people that are consistently angry with their leader and complaining and blaming their leader for stuff, chances are their view of God is, God is trying to get me. I am dependent upon a God who is hurtful. 
The contrast, of course, all the way through Exodus is the contrast between Pharaoh and Moses. Moses is to become the kind of leader that is in contrast to the kind of leader that Pharaoh was. And Moses becomes a different kind of person, a better leader, because he hangs out in the presence of a gracious and loving God. Please do not forget that the God of the Old Testament is the same God that shows up in Jesus in the New Testament. Do not buy the theology that there's two different gods out there or that somehow God changed or that God really surprised us by sending Jesus. That's all not true. It's just in the interpretation of our human patterns of thinking, we blame God for Pharaoh. God is not like Pharaoh. Because God says, I want you to come and walk with me and talk with me. I want us to have a conversation. I want you to be able to listen to my advice and counsel. For when you get into a difficult place, if you cry out to me, I will be there for you. That's very powerful language. You don't hear Pharaoh saying that. If you cry out to me, you can just almost hear Pharaoh say, sure, I'll be there for you. And then when you're out there, oh, sorry, didn't really mean it. God wants to be with us in the midst of the wilderness and the tensions. God wants to develop in us a process of becoming a person who is complete and whole as a human being. And that's one of the reasons why the people wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because it takes them a long time to catch it, to come to grips with who God really is. They're stuck in their old patterns of slavery and their view of God as Pharaoh. Each of us have to choose between are we going to walk in the household of God or household of Pharaoh? And that will determine our futures and our pattern of life and our personal character style. So we in the Reformed tradition simplify this by simply saying that God is love. God is love. And that everything else is defined about God, Old Testament and New Testament, around that expression. In the development process of who God wants us to become, we are on the way to becoming the kind of people that God literally demonstrates himself. If God is good and gracious and loving and kind and slow to anger, God wants us to become good and gracious and kind and slow to anger. God wants us to move from our temptation from bitterness to a place where our humanity is much better. My father, as I've said on a number of occasions, grew up as a Pentecostal elder in the Assembly of God Church. Anybody here have an Assembly of God background? Well, that says a lot by itself right there. (laughs) You won't find a good Assembly of God person in a Presbyterian church, except for the pastor. 
He was not happy with some of the theology de- developed in the Assembly of God tradition, and so he looked for a spiritual director, a mentor, to help him think more holistically about what Scripture is really teaching him about God. And he found a man by the name of John Wright Follett, whose writings you can still find on the internet. His first book, John Wright Follett's first book, was called Bread Upon the Waters, or Broken Bread. And in that, the very first chapter, Follett takes on this issue of bitterness, and he he simply says this, you can choose to be bitter because things are not going your way, or you can choose to live into the character of God and be better because you believe God is gracious in the midst of the trouble. And that trouble, in all of its forms, is a servant of God. And it can become your servant, too. But we often think of trouble as the enemy, which is, if I have trouble, there must be something wrong with me, and there really is something wrong with God. And Follett says, you know, Christians are not supposed to lead charmed lives as if we become a Christian and all of that stuff doesn't touch us anymore because we become nice people. No. No, Follett says that, no, just the contrary. The difference is that we learn to use trouble as our servant. And trouble begins to transform us to become better people and not bitter people. And it's all up to one letter, and it's the letter I. What I choose to think about God and what I choose to live out in my life. If you tend towards bitterness today, think of the voice of God whispering in your ear all the time, let it go, let it go. Stop putting I in front of me. For I am good and gracious and kind, and you have become one mean, bitter SOB. (laughs) We all know who we'd rather hang out with, a God who is gracious and kind, or a God like Pharaoh. And we all know people who have somehow represented God, and their standard of character is Pharaonic. By the way, that is a real term. Know God and become fully human. That's what the message of Exodus is all about. Know God, walk with God, listen to God, and cry out to God, and God will help you become complete human beings individually and together as a community. By the way, just a little side point, the Hebrew word for complaint is the word loon, related to loony or lunatic. If you're on the way of complaint, you're on the way of becoming a little loony. And so, the formation process is simple. We are on the way to becoming either bitter after the pattern of Pharaoh or becoming better after the pattern of God. And we all have a choice to make in that process. This is the weekend of Martin Luther King's birthday and celebration of his life. The very last Sunday of Martin Luther King's life, 
He was at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. to preach his last Sunday sermon. And his text for that day was from Revelation chapter 21, where it says, God says, Behold, I will make all things new. And the word that is talking about God's transformational ability first emerges here in Exodus 15, where God heals, or He makes new, He recreates human beings. And so it isn't as though God magically just makes us different on the day we decide to follow Jesus. No, it is that when we decide to follow, God gradually forms us into the character of who God is that we see clearly in Jesus. And what Martin Luther King said on that Sunday is that isn't just about individuals, that's about whole peoples like all churches and nations and all of humanity. And on that day, he referred to Rip Van Winkle and the story that was written by uh, Washington Irving. He said he noticed about Rip Van Winkle that when he went to sleep, King George III was the king, and when he woke up, George Washington was the president. And Martin Luther King said, you see what happened? He slept through all of the change. He could have participated in the renewal process and the redemptive process, but he slept through it all and didn't experience any of it, and he didn't change with the times. Some of us want to resist those changes. We, we don't sleep literally, but we anesthetize ourselves or we avoid the change. We deny it. We don't want to participate in it. We pretend it's the good old days over and over again. And what King said on that Sunday is, Christians ought not to behave that way. We need to be in the process of transformation while we're in the middle of the wilderness to become better and stop being bitter. One of the assumptions that is made in this text is that God is not present as a series of rules. We have a lot of lingual language here. But it's interesting that's a translation choice. Every one of those legal words could be translated into a relational word. Statutes and ordinances and commandments all could become words of invitation from a relational God who is based upon love. In other words, it is a shortcut to think that God is all about writing rules. What God's really about is putting us into a right relationship. And so it is that many Christians have chosen to live by rules rather than live in intimate contact with the presence of a loving God. And that's a choice we all have today. If you're tempted to live by the rules, chances are you're going to become a bitter person. Because you're going to get upset when people break the rules, and you're going to get upset with yourself when you can't measure up to the rules. And that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Those of you who are trying to live by the rules... You have become mean people.
Martin Luther King was trying to get us to stop being mean, violent people and care about our neighbors of all colors and all religions. Because Christians are called to be like the gracious God that they worship and love. One of the great songs that Martin Luther King loved and sang it almost every time he had a choice was Precious Lord, Take My Hand. It's all about intimate relationship with a loving God. You can't see yourself saying, Precious Pharaoh, take my hand. No, it's all about entering into the presence and knowing that God is calling you closer and closer while you walk in the wilderness, even in the midst of the trouble, and you have to give up complaining and start praying for God's help. So I've invited our guest singers and our band to lead us in singing, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. That is our prayer for us as we end this message. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm warm. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way
Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who knows our human frailties and who embraces us with healing grace. So touch and heal us here and all whose hearts are burdened today with painful memories, with bitterness. Those whose minds are anxious or confused, those whose relationships afraid or breaking, those whose failures overwhelm. Touch and heal those whose bodies suffer, those who carry pain, those who face surgery, those who can never leave their bed, those who know they have only a short time to live, and those who watch and wait with them this day. Touch and heal the broken places of our nation and of our world. Those who are victims of war, injustice, inhumanity. Those whose mistrust divides them from others. Those who suffer from prejudice and racial injustice. Enable us to walk in ways to be agents of your grace and your healing, which you will ultimately bring to all people and all things. And so we pray as you have taught us for the coming of that day, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This little question around the nature of God was a major question in the Reformation where people thought God was hard and judgmental and oppressive. And if you didn't give enough money, God was going to get you. I thought about using that theology, but it doesn't work. <laughs> no, the Reformation said, look, you can't buy God's love. God's love is a free gift. Accept it, enjoy it, participate in it. And if you feel really good about it, we hope you give it all away. And so today, let us see ourselves as getting better in our management of money and relationship to God, because God is a God of love. We use our money to be a tool of love. Let us thank those thoughts as we give.
So gracious God, we ask that you would transform us into the pattern that we see in you and in Jesus, who we desire to follow as our Lord. For this world is in need of change, and we want to be the change agents who have been transformed by your presence. And so take our wealth and who we are as people, and use them to change others for your goodness and presence in the world through Jesus Christ, whom we serve. Amen. As the service concludes after the postlude, if you've heard something today that you'd like to pray about, have somebody pray for you or pray with you, there'll be a couple of people right over here who would love to do that. So in that lifetime process of moving out of bitterness into betterment, 
There is one word that summarizes that, that came out of the Old Testament and ends almost every blessing we find, and that is peace, shalom. May God form you into a person of shalom. May God form us into a church of shalom, wholeness, completeness, fullness, and healthiness that we might go and share that life with our neighbors and with the world. So go in the grace, mercy, and shalom of Jesus Christ, for you will find a better life. Amen.